Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz, it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amwar a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amwar.style forward slash crystal. That is amwar.style A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoire today. This episode is sponsored by Byheart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. 
Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Now, let's get a cup of tea and spend a few minutes together. Here's your host, wife, mother of three, and entrepreneur, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. Today, we're going to be sharing about our journey to becoming foster parents. This is something that we have been working on and working toward for months and months. And we've gotten a lot of questions. And now that we are officially licensed and we've had a little bit of experience under our belt, we wanted to share the story of how we ended up fostering because it wasn't something that we ever saw ourselves doing. And it was definitely one of the biggest surprises of 2019. But also we have gotten a lot of questions and so we compiled some of the most asked questions and we'll be answering those later in the show. Before we get to that discussion though, Jesse, let's start things off like we always do with talking about what's saving our life this week. This is the part of the show where we talk about something that's making our life better, easier, or more enjoyable. Jesse, what do you got for us today? Well, yesterday we spent hours on end, deep cleaning, and redoing our closet, throwing stuff away, not throwing stuff away, but... You did. You threw stuff away. I was giving uh, different shirts away. Got rid of stuff. Things that I hadn't worn for five to eight years. You said possibly even 10 years. There were a lot of shirts in that pile. I could not believe. And I'm just telling you ladies that are wondering how on earth I got my husband to go through his clothes because I've heard from a lot of you that this isn't a really common thing. I don't know. I just said, we're going to clean out things this week because it's the week of New Year's and it's a quieter week for us because the kids are out of school. And we started with the basement storage room, Mm -hmm. which was a massive project because the poor storage room has been sorely neglected. We basically just dumped a bunch of boxes in there full of stuff when mm-hmm. we moved to this house. We've rearranged the boxes, like moved the boxes around, but never really dug into the boxes. Opened up the yeah. boxes. So we did that. And then yesterday we did our master bedroom closet. And I just said, hey, you want to do your side of the closet? Mm-hmm. And I thought you just kind of tidy things up, which is great. I but did. No. For the, no, I did for the most part. And then I got rid of a bunch of shirts. Your closet yeah. is empty now. I know. I, I walked, walked in here this morning. I'm like, where's my stuff? I was like, I I had to do a double take because there was this whole empty section. But you we're doing the cleaning out, so how is that saving your life? Well, I was able to find something in those boxes that we were moving around that I'd been looking for for about four four years. So you, I don't know if you were excited about doing the clean out, although I don't know that anybody gets super excited about cleaning out. But I was annoyed with the clean out. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of sense yeah, that a little bit. Although you didn't say anything, but then after I pulled out these boxes that were your stuff, and you started going through them, and I could see that you you became a little bit more engaged with the whole cleaning out thing, especially when you're like, I found this thing that I've been looking for for four years, and you decided that this whole clean out idea was actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, it was a good idea. So. That is not what's saving my life this week, but it is making my life very, very happy. Uh, I don't know that that's not grammatically correct. It's making me very happy to walk into our closet, to open the drawers, to go down to the storage room, and there's wide open spaces 
and organized places. But what is saving my life is actually my exercise ball. And I was like, have I talked about this on the podcast? And I had to go search and it doesn't appear that I have. So I feel like I'm always talking about this, but I don't think I've talked about it on the podcast. So let me tell you about my exercise ball. It is just a simple, big ball. I don't even know if there's like a, an official name for it. We call it exercise ball at our house. Is there an official name for it? Um, Swiss ball, I think, is the actual name for it. When I'm pregnant, I get a lot of lower back pain, tailbone pain, and it can start really hurting to sit and to walk and to stand up, basically to move. But the exercise ball is my lifesaver. And I've been sitting on it. I just try to sit on it at least a few times per week. But if the pain intensifies, then that is my reminder to sit on it even more. And it just kind of balances out all of, I think, your bones and your ligaments. I don't know all the Mm -hmm. technical medical terms for this. But I know that when I regularly sit on it, I have a lot less pain. In fact, almost zero pain if I'm consistent about sitting on it. And I discovered this in my first pregnancy because I got to the point where I could barely sit down. I was in so much pain. And I, I don't know if the midwife suggested it or what, but we got one and I started just sitting on it when I was working throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I would just kind of pull it up to a desk and make this little makeshift mm-hmm. computer desk area. And it took the pain away within a few weeks. And so- I am a big advocate of exercise balls and sitting on them. And also we, you can use them like after your baby comes, you can like lay your baby on there. You can do kind of some fun things with it, but then I've even used it in my births, sitting on it while I'm having contractions or with Silas's birth, I actually kind of was up on all fours and held onto it while I actually birthed him, which sounds really weird, but that's what the midwife suggested. and It worked really well. So mm-hmm. big, big advocate of exercise balls. And we'll link to the one that we have in the show notes. But honestly, I've used multiple different ones um, at the hospital, at the birthing clinics, at my parents' house. They all basically work the same. Let's talk about what we're reading. I actually just finished another parenting book. I'm reading a lot of parenting books right now because I'm writing a book on parenting, which I've said I never thought I would be writing, but I am. And so as part of kind of my research for the book, I am reading through, I'll probably read 20 or 25 parenting books. And so I might be talking about a lot more of them on the podcast, but this one that I just finished was Parenting by Paul David Tripp. It has come highly, highly recommended to me. I've had it on my shelf for a long time, finally read it. It is 14 gospel principles that can radically change your family. And I will have to say my one beef with it is that I don't like how it's laid out. I think it's laid out poorly in the sense that I think it's hard to read. I'm a big stickler for how books are laid out, and I had to kind of plow through it because I don't think it's very eye-pleasing. But it does have a lot of good stuff in it. Some of it was review, but some of it was just made me think of things in a new light. And I wanted to read two quotes to you that I really loved. This one was from page... 32. And he says, no one gives grace better than a parent who humbly admits 
that he desperately needs it himself. Hmm. And I think we can't give really adequately or wholeheartedly what we don't believe we've received or what we haven't received. So if we are not living in a place of grace, we can't give that to our kids. No one gives grace better than a parent who humbly admits that he desperately needs it himself. And that's, you know, the place of, I don't know what I'm doing. I need God's grace. I am going to make mistakes. And in parenting from that place of just looking to the Lord and receiving grace from Him, I think it allows us to be a much more grace-filled parent as well. The second quote that I want to read is from page 188. He says, So your hope as a parent is not found in your power, your wisdom, your character, your experience, or your success, but in this one thing alone, the presence of your Lord, the Creator, Savior, Almighty, Sovereign King is with you. Let your heart rest. You are not in this parenting drama alone. Your potential is greater than the size of your weakness, because the one who is without weakness is with you. And he does his best work through those who admit that they are weak, but in weakness still heed his call. I don't think I need to say anything after that, but just camp on that for a while and it might completely change your parenting. So again, that was Parenting by Paul David Tripp, and we'll link to that in the show notes. You know, when you were reading that first section of the book, it reminded me of something from last night. Was laying in bed last night, and uh, one of my kids came up, and they were giving me a hard time about my phone and making a big deal about wanting to take a look at the time usage that I have on my phone. And I kept trying to pull it away, you know, did want them to look at it, whatever. And then I thought, you know what? I know what it says. I let them look at it, and because it's, it's obviously something I struggle with as far as being on the phone, and mm-hmm. wanted to be transparent with them. And of course, their jaw dropped whenever they saw it. And they said, well, how can you have an issue with what my usage is and have this usage on your phone? So it was a good opportunity to show kind of some humility there. And you know what? I need to work on that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think our kids are so great at calling out <laughs> our weaknesses. Yeah. And it's not always not ever really what you want to hear when they're calling out your weakness. And yet God can use it for so much good mm-hmm. to bring to light these things that we really need to work on. Exactly. What are you reading right now? Well, I have a book that I started here back in November, I believe it was. And I'm trying, was trying to finish it up before the new year. So I could put that on my list of one of the books that I had finished up when I think that would have been with the audiobooks would have been 13. So wow, would have met my goal for one a month, but I was hoping to have that amount with books that I had read, not including the audiobooks, but oh well. So uh, this one was Hunter Killer, um, the Inside America's Unmanned Air War uh, by a guy by the name of T. Mark McCurley. And uh, it's about... Uh, drone pilots mm-hmm. and how the drone pilots have been used in Iraq and Afghanistan. Fascinating, you know, that they are at a base out west fighting the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, doing missions with people on the ground there. So just neat going into that side of things. And 
they're also getting deployed right now. I'm reading he's was deployed over to Iraq uh, for about 60 days and has finished that deployment and come back. And specifically, this is about one mission that they had in taking out one of um, the uh, Iraqi uh, the head. Of, he wasn't Iraqi. He was Jordanian, but he was the head of Al Qaeda in Iraq. So I haven't quite got there yet, but. But this is not a fiction book. This, this is, is not a fiction book. This, this is, is okay. actual true story. True story. Mm-hmm. We'll link to that in the show notes. All right. So foster care, this is a big, big topic. And before we really delve into it, I need to preface this by saying we are not experts by any stretch of the imagination. We are not talking about this because we feel like we somehow know a lot about this or we have experience. Um, We are just a couple who has been on this journey to becoming foster parents. And we want to share what we've learned and talk about our journey and answer some of your questions. But please know that we are brand new to this. And I don't want anyone to think that we're setting ourselves up as like, wow, we kind of know what we're talking about. We don't, but we want to share with you where we're at right now Mm -hmm. and how we got here. Because like I said, at the beginning of the show, we never saw that we were going to become foster parents. That was not on our radar screen at all. I know I've always had a heart for adoption and that's something for you that you've always felt very strongly. It has to be a calling and Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And you didn't ever feel that call from God that it was something we were really supposed to pursue. Right. So talk about foster care. Like how did that even come about? Well, I think it was from your working with this other family that we know and seeing the impact that fostering had on their family. Mm-hmm. And then we also had an opportunity of, of watching this, uh, their particular child that they were taking care of and them communicating the need to us and, and us saying, well, we have some availability and we have some resources at our disposal that we could use. And we have always wanted to be used to help others. And I felt that this was um, kind of a way that we can do that. When I look back on the past few years and really see how God was preparing our hearts without us having any clue Mm -hmm. that this is what he was preparing us for, because I look at the books that I read, so many of them had a strong foster care message in them. They were about kids who were in the foster care system. They were about people who fostered or people who had been affected by fostering. And I didn't pick these up with that theme in mind. It just kept coming up. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Fran, who we had on the podcast, who shared her story of how their family ended up fostering, I got to walk closely with her last year because she and I were co-leaders in discipleship. And so every single week, you know, hear what she was going through, what she was processing, the needs, how they were just walking through this and seeing this precious little girl that they had brought into their home and seeing how this little girl was impacting their life so much. And there was something very much that was stirring in my heart. And I remember saying to her, you know, I really think that I would love to foster, but I just, I just don't think that we can do this. I just feel like our kids, I just, 
I just don't know that it would work for our kids. I think it just might be too much. Mm-hmm. And later on that day, she sent me a text and she just said, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to send you this text. And the gist of it was, your children might surprise you how big their hearts are and how big they can love. And maybe God wants you to just look into doing respite care, which for those of you who are new to fostering, respite care is where you would just provide some short-term relief for a foster family. Let's say maybe they had a baby or they were going through um, a hard time. There was a death in the family or they were going out of state or out of country and it wasn't going to work well for them to bring their child from foster care with them. And so you would just open up your home for a short time to do respite care. So when she sent me that text, I just felt this pull in my heart. Mm -hmm. But I thought, there's no way, Jesse, that you would ever go for that. I just felt like, no. And I knew it had to be a call from God. And I actually called you downstairs to my office. I remember we sat over in this chair that's right over there. You were sitting there and I I brought you the phone and I said, I just want you to read this text. And you read it and I don't know your exact words, but whatever it was, I about fell over because you said, yeah, I think maybe we should consider that. And I was shocked because it's not something that we had ever talked mm-hmm. about together. But I think God had been preparing your heart. I, I feel like our journey of infertility, of years and years and years of hoping to have more children and then finding out that, you know, with the fertility testing that that door was completely shut and there was absolutely no way, barring a miracle, that we would ever be able to conceive a child even mm-hmm. through IVF. And so that door was slammed really closed for us. And I think that there was then this room in our hearts for, well, you know, we have this desire to serve and to open up our hearts and our home, and we have space in our home, and we have space in our life. And I feel like that was kind of some, maybe, of what God used a little bit to... Well, some of that it w- and was kind of a confluence of several different things. To <laughs> you had to say confluence, yes. To that throwback. But also, influence of Kevin... A, a friend of mine who's now a judge, and um, he was a judge in the juvenile court and was constantly encouraging people to get involved in the foster system. His mentorship and influence definitely played a huge part in my coming around and wanting to step up in that way. Well, uh, and I think, was am I correct that kind of you were seeing the stuff that he was saying online on social media and mm-hmm. hearing this from him? maybe around the same time that it I was. was walking with Fran, but I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I did not know any of that was going down. And you didn't tell me that till later. And right. so it was just, it's just so interesting to look back and see how God was preparing our hearts when we had, we didn't know. I think this was maybe April when she sent me that text mm-hmm. and we both felt like, okay, we're supposed to step into this. We don't know what this looks like. And so at first we were just going to say our home would be available to do respite care And Fran said she would tell some different foster families. And we were just thinking, okay, that's what it's supposed to be. But the more we talked about it, the more we felt like, well, you know, if we're going to actually open up our home and do respite care, it probably would be wise for us to actually get certified. Just, just as, you know, let's, let's, let's get a better understanding of what we're stepping into. Let's Mm -hmm. get the certification. And that way we're a little bit more official. 
And I think right, we because, both just felt better about that. Well, we wanted to have some other possibilities and opportunities come along that we could provide that respite care, not just to families that we know. And we felt that in order to possibly say, offer that, we would need to have that certification. So it was so interesting because when we decided that we were going, going to do the certification, I did some research and just the next week, there were classes that were starting at a church that was really close by. And I didn't even know at the time, but those classes are not offered very often Mm -hmm. and they're rarely offered at that church. And so it was just crazy timing of it. And then when we got to the classes, we went to the first class and we found out you have to have lived in Tennessee for five years. And we had just hit literally just hit the five-year mark because May 1st, mm-hmm. I think that was April 30th or May 1st was when we moved. And so we were we had just passed the five-year mark. So it was just thing after thing after thing where we just saw God's hand. He'd been preparing the way for this for a right. long time. And so we started and we went to the initial class and we were still just feeling like, okay, we're going to do respite care. And then we went to the next class. And I think by the third class, both of us had this really strong urging that maybe there was something more for us. Yeah, especially when they said that you can't do respite care. Well, and we didn't we didn't even know that until I think we were close to being done. They had just with changed all the classes the rules. they changed yeah. the ruling that you couldn't be licensed and only do foster care. No, only do respite care. I'm sorry. You couldn't be licensed and only do respite care. You actually have to commit to long-term placements right. if you're going to be licensed in the state of Tennessee. So it's just interesting, but we were already at that place. Mm -hmm. We were already saying, okay, we're willing. And God just changed our hearts so much through the classes, opened up our eyes so much Mm -hmm. to the need and really just to the, the opportunity that there is to walk with these families. And also, I think I have a heart to really encourage the social workers because I think recognizing how hard their job is. Mm-hmm. It is a thankless job. And just thinking of the opportunity to just encourage them and come alongside them as well. And so we went through the classes. There were seven weeks of classes, correct? I believe it was seven weeks. Okay. And you could not miss any of them. Nope. Um, if you missed, you could miss one, actually. You could ha- have a makeup. You could make it up, but you had to make it up within 60 days. And you had to find a class and sometimes you would have to drive, I don't know, a few hours to Mm -hmm. to find a makeup class to make it up within the 60 days. So we planned our entire summer around these classes so that we would not miss them, including our Iceland trip, our Utah trip. Everything was planned around not missing these classes because we're like, we don't want to have to mess with trying to make it up. We came back from Iceland and like that night went to a class. Yes, we did. And I think it was a four hour class. Yeah, it was was brutal. But so we got through the classes and then you have a lot of homework and paperwork and they kind of, it gets progressively harder. So they start out pretty easy and then it gets progressively harder. And it's, it's as if they're trying to weed out people. They are trying to weed out And they do because you come the first week and there's all these full tables in the room. And by the end, it's a very empty room. Mm-hmm. But you you finish out and then you have an interview and you pass and you get some certifications and that sort of thing. And then you start in on your home study. 
And that is a whole nother ball game. You have a lot of paperwork to fill out. You have a lot of forms to send in. You have to get letters of reference from five different people and they're very in-depth reference letters. That we, ask, did, we did not know that when we put the names on the list of people who would be our references. We I'm just so thought, sorry hey. to you guys. So sorry, because we just thought they might call and be like, hey, do you know these people? No, they asked very specific questions of, you know, do you think that they would be okay with handling a child who is a fire setter? I mean, things like this that our friends kept contacting us and being like, um, <laughs> what is this paper that you sent to us that we have to try to fill out? We don't know what to say. So there was that. And then we also, once you have all of that paperwork sent in, filled out and sent in, then you start in on your home study, which is that you have someone come into your home and they do a lot of interviews, ask a lot more questions, and they put together basically an entire case study on your family. And it's this big essay that kind of goes through from birth until now, your entire family history and everything you've encountered, Mm -hmm. struggles, stresses. There are things like your marital difficulties, what you fight about. Mm -hmm. Um, They interview each of our kids individually. They ask a lot of really hard questions. Dispute resolution. Yes. In those fights. They did interviews with us together and then separately, and mm-hmm. they're asking us the same questions. So we have no idea what questions they're going to ask to see if your answers line up. So it's a pretty intensive process. I've heard that the adoption process can be similar as far as the home study goes. Mm. Um, I don't know, but I'd love to hear from those of you who have adopted if that was if it was similar. But then you have to prep your home as well, which is a different level than we ever expected. Like I thought, oh, we'll make sure that we don't have medicines out or something. Mm -hmm. You have to lock up everything. Everything. And I mean everything. Shampoo, dish soap, laundry soap. So we had to really rethink how we do life. In order to figure out how to lock all these things up. Yeah, there's things that you would not even think would need to be behind lock and key that had to. So we had to put a lot of locks in Mm -hmm. a lot of places. We had to reorganize a lot of things. That's probably why the storage room did not get dealt with. Because all (laughs) all summer we were re reorganizing. And and also, I think there was a lot of emotional processing because Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that you go through as part of the foster care preparation is them really trying to persuade you not to do this Mm -hmm. because they're trying to tell you the worst case scenario of everything. You have to sign off on all of these things that you're willing to accept into your home a lot of different issues, things that you might never, ever, ever think of that a child would be dealing with that you have to sign up mm-hmm. and say, yes, I'm willing to accept that. Right. And so there's a lot of emotional processing that has to happen as well. Well, the other thing too, I was thinking, you're basically childproofing your home. And when we were raising our kids, when they were really young, there's a lot of childproofing that we never did. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was intentional because we wanted them to learn a cer- in a certain way that 
that can't be applied when you're working as a foster parent. Yes, because there are so many strict rules about tiny little things. They had to go through every single part of our home multiple times to sign off on, you know, that we had dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and everything. Mm -hmm. So, so it was an intensive process. And then they present all of that to the state because it's actually not the state that does the home study in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. It's a contracted company that does it. And then they present all of that to the state. And then the state decides whether they're going to accept you or not. They don't accept everyone. So you've gone through all of that and they don't accept everyone. And some of our friends who went through the process at the same time as us did not get accepted. So they found that out right before we had turned in all of our stuff and we were like, well, if they didn't get accepted, there's no way we're going to get accepted. We honestly have no idea how we got accepted Mm -hmm. because there were some different things that we thought that would be kind of red flags for them. And, but no. So we got our licensing letter and we are official. And so there were a lot of questions that were asked. I'm just going to, I just realized this podcast is going to go longer than 30 minutes. So it's just a big topic and I don't know how to discuss it in seven minutes. So people ask about how long did the certification process take? So we kind of reviewed that, but. Well, we started back in July and we didn't get our letter. Well, we didn't get approved until October. October. We got a text that we were approved and actually didn't get the letter. I don't think until November. Yes. And we were working pretty hardcore to get it done at that pace. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then also a lot of questions about what were some of the requirements, which we just went over. But one of the questions that we've been asked often is, how do you get started fostering? And, you know, I think before we talk about the practicalities of this, really making sure that it's a calling because it Mm -hmm. cannot, that was something that we really thought through the whole process. If this was not a calling, we would have bowed out within a few weeks because it it makes it a whole lot easier to give up because it's not for the faint of heart and it truly has to be something that is, you know, something put in your heart. So I would, I would start there that making sure that it's a calling and it's not something that it's like, Oh, we want to have another baby. And so, you know, like thinking of it is somehow it's going to fill some hole in your heart because it's a a lot of work. And at least I feel like I can't speak from much experience, but all the foster parents that I've talked to that it is something that truly has to be a calling. But then the just check online or if you know parents who foster, you know, ask them. But usually a quick Google search and you can figure out, you know, your state and local organizations and what the process is. And we're talking about Tennessee, the state of Tennessee. Every state has a different process. It's going to look somewhat similar, but all states have different rules and different processes. So then figuring out what that looks like for your state. How often do you get calls for placement? Well, around the holidays, we were getting a lot of calls. Yes. I mean, it got to the point where it was about two a day. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really sad that it seems that from a lot of people that we've heard of, around the holidays, everything seems to spike. Mm. And that was pretty true, but we've probably been averaged a couple of of weeks. 
And I know some people are wondering, well, why, why haven't you said yes to a lot of those calls? And for us, this is what was recommended to us by other foster parents that we sit down ahead of time and kind of figure out these are our non-negotiables of what we will say yes to and what mm-hmm. we won't say yes to, what we feel like is best for our home and our family and our capacity. And then also one of our things is that we both have to have complete peace about it. And all three of our kids have to have complete peace about it because it's not just us. Mm -hmm. It's not just us as a couple. When your kids are 14, 12, and 10, bringing in other children into your home is going to significantly impact their life. And this was a discussion that we had with them well before we started the process. Yes. You know, they have such a heart for other people. Mm -hmm. And for serving and for caring and for loving other people, you know, we can see their heart for when we go over to South Africa and this is a way that they can do it in their own backyard. Mm -hmm. And we really decided to make this a family effort. So anytime we get a possibility, run it by them and make sure they are on board as well, because it really affects their life. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's been such a good thing for us to just kind of have that in place from the get-go. A question that we're asked a lot is, are you hoping to adopt from foster care? And I think one of the important things to stress is that the goal of foster care is reunification with Mm -hmm. the family. That is the ultimate goal. And in Tennessee, actually, they will not, they don't want you to be fostering with the goal to adopt. They want you to be fostering with the goal to reunify. So if you're going into it saying, we're hoping to adopt, they're probably not actually going to accept you because that's, they say, there's plenty of other ways to adopt. And if you have a heart to adopt, here are the different options. They gave us that right from the get-go in our classes, but that's not what foster care is about. That said, there are sometimes when reunification is not possible. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, then adoption does often come on the table. In Tennessee, you have to have had a child in your home for six months and it have to be a very positive experience Mm -hmm. for them to consider opening up the door to adoption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for both of us, I think we're just saying, we don't know what the future holds And we're open to what God has, Mm -hmm. but we're not doing this for an end goal in mind other than to say, God, we want to follow you and walk in obedience. We don't know what this looks like. And we're just taking one tiny step at a time. I want to close with talking about the answer to this question. What are the best ways for others to help out foster families? And I think it's important when we have this conversation to stress that Not everyone is called to foster care. Not everyone is called to adopt. Not everyone is called to go help in South Africa. You know, different Mm -hmm. things. We feel like we have been called to step into fostering. And we've been called to be a part of the ministry in South Africa. But not everyone is called to do the same thing. However, I do believe that every family can step back and say, should we in some way, shape, or form, come alongside foster families? And if so, what could that look like for us? And different practical ways to help out. Praying for them, providing a place for them to talk. 
there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes on. And I know just us going through the classes and the emotional things that we had to process with that, mm-hmm. we just needed some places just open up and say, we're processing this and this is scary and we just need to talk about this. And would you pray with us and just listen to us? And so I think providing that listening ear and then offering specific ways to help. And this is this goes for any time you're wanting to come alongside someone. It's so easy to say, let me know if you need anything or I'm praying for you and I'm here for you, but you don't ever actually walk that out. Mm-hmm. If you tell someone, let me know if you need anything, they're very rarely ever going to actually let you know something that they need. But if you say, I'd like to help you in a specific way. Hey, I'm free on Tuesday. I was thinking I could either bring you a meal. I could come over and clean your bathrooms and do laundry. I could come over and help watch kids for you so you could you know, get some things done. I can rock the baby or I could send you dinner. You know, giving them like three or four different options specifically on a specific day. That makes it so much easier for people to just kind of pick the option. It's like multiple choice, mm-hmm. pick the one that works for them. And it also communicates, I really, truly want to help you. And so think of specific ways that you can help, whether that's laundry or cleaning, or maybe it's giving a grocery gift card or asking if you can run some errands, say, I'm on the way to Target. What can I pick up for you? You know, and don't forget the bio kids too. I think it's important that you recognize that they're going through a lot of big changes as well and they need love and support as well. And so coming alongside them and then just keep showing up and keep offering specific ways to help. I think it's easy when somebody first starts in to, you know, they get their first placement or they get a new placement and it's like everyone comes and surrounds them. But then two weeks, two months, a year down the road, they're still in it mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And there's not as many people that are showing up. And so if you can be the faithful people to continue to show up day in, week in, week out, that is really going to make a difference. And even if you never are called to foster care, you can have a major, major impact by coming alongside families who are in this and being a real support and help to them. As always, if you have any question on any topic you'd love for Jesse and I to answer in a future episode, or you just have feedback or suggestions, or you'd love for us to change something or do something different, we love to hear from you. We love your emails. And so you can send an email to crystal at moneysavingmom.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Crystal Pain Show. Have a great week. And remember, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your attitude. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com.